New Jersey is now the second state in the nation that requires people to purchase health insurance. Is this what the doctor ordered or a poison pill? New Jersey's healthcare system gets a stress test coming up on the Jaffe Podcast. You're listening to the Jaffe Podcast brought to you weekly by Jaffe Communications. If you really want to understand what's happening with healthcare in America, pay close attention to New Jersey. Since the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2009, the debate over health care has swirled mostly around the federal individual mandate. And what exactly is that? It requires people to buy health insurance. President Trump didn't like it. He repealed it early last year with an executive order. But lawmakers in New Jersey have a very different take on the individual mandate. They picked up where Trump left off, passing their own version of the law. Some consider it to be a crucial incentive, not a punishment or a tax, and what the individual mandate does is it spreads risk and stabilizes a vulnerable market. Today's guest is Dave Mordo, and Dave is a compliance specialist at Benefit Mall and a national figure with the National Association of Health Underwriters. He has three decades of experience working within New Jersey's healthcare industry, so we couldn't imagine anyone better to join us in our podcast studio for a discussion of this landmark law and what it means for your health and your pocketbook. Dave, welcome to the Jaffe Podcast. Thanks very much for having me on, Jonathan. So what we, the, one of the reasons we wanted to bring Dave on was that many of our listeners out there um, get health in, uh, are, are covered with health insurance in New Jersey, and uh, it's one of the more expensive line items um, in the uh, household budget these days. And uh, Dave has been watching very carefully over the past few years, been very vocal with uh, the Affordable Care Act, with the passage of the Affordable Care Act, and also with what's happened in Trump world since uh, we've gotten the new president in 2016. And we thought that, you know, maybe we could start off the conversation today with just kind of like an overview of what's the state of the union when it comes to health care in New Jersey. Are we at a level of crisis? Are we things smoothing out? How would you describe Well, it's a good question. It's a good starting point. So the the state of the union in the state of New Jersey is such that I'll divide it into two parts. Mm -hmm. The individual market, where a lot of consumers go because they're not covered under an employer plan, and the employer-based market. Uh, Nationwide, 180 million people are covered under their employer's health care. I would think there's obviously a sizable amount that are covered by their employer here in New Jersey. What we've experienced over the years is the fact that in addition to the reduction in the number of carriers selling plans in New Jersey, obviously premiums have gone up. Mm -hmm. Premiums were up way before the Affordable Care Act. Unfortunately, in many cases, it went further north during the height of the Affordable Care Act, and now, even still, as we head into 2019, people covered under their employer health care are either dealing with significant premiums or a high out-of-pocket deductible co-insurance co-pays, or put all together, they're called maximum out-of-pocket. It is very tough on the consumer, even in the employer-based market. Mm -hmm. The underlying problem is that this market is shrinking. 
This market that is supposed... There's, there's less carriers, you mean, when you mean shrinking? There's mean? less members. Mm-hmm. There are less members, whether it be because employers are leaving the state of New Jersey, mm-hmm. and they are leaving, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, whether or not employers have made a decision not to offer coverage, whether or not employees have decided to look elsewhere for that coverage, mm-hmm. The small employer market in New Jersey is decreasing, and it decreases anywhere from 3 to 4% a quarter. Wow. We are down right now to approximately 311,000 members enrolled in the small group market. And small group is uh, under 50 lives. Correct. By definition in New Jersey, um, small group is the 1 to 50 employee Mm -hmm. market. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the small business owners. We're we're not talking about the credentials, right? The mom and pops. The mom and pops that make up the fiber of American Mm -hmm. businesses and New Jersey businesses. Mm -hmm. These are the folks that have limited choice in where to go to get insurance, and their numbers are reducing drastically and and it is a concern it's a concern for folks like me who who dabble in this uh market it's a it's a obviously concern for employers i truly believe employers want to provide coverage mm-hmm. for their employees i truly believe that um but it's become cost prohibitive as mm-hmm. you said it is probably the first or second light item on, on their on their balance sheet mm-hmm. Then you have the individual market, which only has currently two car- three carriers. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the individual market, are we talking about the healthcare exchange? We are. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the exchange and people who don't qualify for subsidies on the exchange mm-hmm. and they're in the individual market mm-hmm. off the exchange. They earn too much money mm-hmm. to qualify. Well, there are only three carriers right now in the state selling individual plans. The choice, again, is limited. The good news, if we can title it good news, is the fact that for the first time in many, many years, even with the Affordable Care Act, the increases were very, very nominal. Like a nominal meaning what, 5%? Meaning lower, lower, lower single digits. Not the double-digit hits? Not the double-digit hits that we used to mm-hmm. see in New Jersey and in some of the other states around the nation mm-hmm. that were truly, truly devastated mm-hmm. by either carriers pulling out of the state mm-hmm. and those that stayed offering people 50, 60, 80, 90% increases. Wow. Yeah. The individual market in New Jersey has seen a bump up in the number of members, converse to the small group market. But again, you have people that are relying on subsidies. These plan designs do have high deductibles, so there is a threat of out of pocket if God forbid something catastrophic happens. But, you know, the governor, in my opinion, did a good thing with this New Jersey individual mandate. Mm-hmm. With the zeroing out of the federal man, individual mandate. Explain for these guys the individual yeah. mandate. <laughs> 
So okay. the individual mandate basically said during the Affordable Care Act, it, in some ex- with some exceptions, everybody had to purchase and have health insurance. Mm-hmm. We saw that that was not necessarily an impetus for people to run and get health insurance, but a lot of folks did. Uh, with President Trump coming into office, he finally in 2007, uh, early 18, indicated by executive order that there will be a zeroing out of the penalty for those who didn't get Mm -hmm. and keep health insurance. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that was a good move, but in order to counterbalance that, Governor Murphy instituted an individual mandate for New Jersey. New Jersey became the second state second to Massachusetts, to impose this individual mandate, any and all residents, with some exceptions of New Jersey, are required to have health insurance effective one one nineteen. Right. And now, I would assume that there's many um, who aren't happy with the individual mandate, that they're like, why is government dictating that I should have health insurance? And... and uh, I, I look. People can people can argue it both ways, and I guess if you go around different parts of the country, you know, we knew the individual mandate was not um, well received in many parts of the world, uh, and uh, you know, part of the uh, slamming of Obamacare. But from your perspective, what do you do? You think in, the individual mandate is good for New Jersey? I do. Mm-hmm. I think that. And I hate to use the word forcing, but it is what it is. It is forcing people to take responsibility and accountability and purchase insurance to pay for the catastrophic, God forbid, catastrophic illnesses and injuries one might incur during the course of one's life. Mm The individual mandate did not work for one reason and one reason only, in my opinion. The first year penalty was $95. Nothing. That's not a penalty. Mm-hmm. That's an mm-hmm. inconvenience. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a big difference. Yep. A nuisance. Mm-hmm. Now the penalty is a bit steeper. The penalty for not having insurance in 2019 will be $695 per person up to $2,085, I believe it is, for a family, or 2.5% of income. So if you're an income earner, that might hurt. Mm -hmm. But the individual mandate does help. It helps people, we hope, garner some responsibility for their health care. What has helped is the fact that the state used to allocate over $500 million mm-hmm. for charity care mm-hmm. and those who didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. Those budget numbers, because of the individual mandate, went down significantly. And we as taxpayers in New Jersey paid part of that $500 million yeah. every year in taxes. Right. And let's explain charity care. For example, if you go into a hospital and you have no health insurance, that you would be cared for. Correct. And somebody 
somewhere would be paying for it, not you. Correct. I mean, listen, out of a sense of just humane goings-on, nobody should be refused health care. Mm-hmm. You can't be refused health care. Mm-hmm. So if you go into an emergency room with, God forbid, a gunshot wound, mm-hmm. you have to yes. be treated. Yep. It's the humane thing to do whether you have insurance or not. Mm-hmm. For those that don't, the state provides for payment to the providers in case one does not have insurance. This was a big budget item for many years prior to the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. The individual mandate reduced that number to to more than half, Mm -hmm. or or less than half, I should say. Um, The expansion of Medicare. Medicare, yeah. Medicaid, I'm sorry. Huge, huge for the state. Governor Christie went ahead and, unlike many Republican governors around the nation, saw that there was money on the table to be had from the mm-hmm. federal government yep. and said, let's expand Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And uh, but The idea being that there's a dollar-to-dollar match, that, 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 that he was trying to maximize federal programs. Absolutely. The government was, the feds were going to fund Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. This put people in the 100 to 138% of federal poverty in a good condition to get Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And people enrolled. Mm-hmm. People enrolled. People who were eligible for years and even didn't know it mm-hmm. under the regular guidelines enrolled. Right. right. So I find the individual mandate, whether it be in the form of private insurance or Medicaid, a huge win for the country, mm-hmm. and for New Jersey, mm-hmm. and for the taxpayer. So now the uh, the health insurance broker um, that's working one-on-one, going into businesses, um, talking to individual families, What when they go out, um, what are they hearing from people? I mean, it's like, should people be relieved that there's only 7% increase? Um, uh, you know, I'd like to know from a broker's perspective, what, what you know, when they wake up in the morning, you know, are they happy about their day, about what they're going to be talking about, that they've got great messaging, or are they like, you know, oh, yeah. it's another year of this and yeah. a lot of sighing, you know? I will tell you this. The good news is is that the a lot more is expected of the broker. Back in the day, a good year from a broker was only hearing from your client once a year at renewal. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of clients out there that didn't require a lot of of service or care Mm -hmm. and we saw them at renewal time and that was it not not the case anymore employers rightfully so are expecting a lot more from their broker they want to be seen they want to be spoken to they want solutions to these increased premiums these increased out-of-pockets the pharmaceutical pricing. Mm -hmm. So from a broker perspective, there is more work to do. There is a lot more work to do. There are a lot more creative solutions that the broker is going to have to come up with and has come up with in the past couple of years. So when you wake up in the morning, is it a good day? I wouldn't say it's a good day. It's a different day. Mm -hmm. It is find out what the employer 
needs, what the concern is. Don't sell the solution without first knowing what the employer needs. And I think a lot of brokers are learning that. Don't go in with a bunch of renewals and say, okay, we can give you this plan and it'll reduce your premium by 5%. Mm-hmm. I don't think the employer is is looking at that. I think the employer these days is far more sophisticated mm-hmm. and, what, and wants to hear, what else can you provide me? What mm-hmm. else are we doing, not just in health insurance and health care, but in other things to make the the health care of my company better for my employees. Right. Well, I mean, I can say that here, you know, our uh, our health insurance broker, who's um, your good friend, Nicole Gunya, uh, she is kind of really part of our HR department because it's like she's like, I could talk to your staff about this. I could talk to your staff about that. She's a, she's a tremendous resource beyond here's your renewal, sign here, send a check to Horizon. Exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. And uh, I think that that's an important thing is that brokers are have been stepping up because really th- there's a void, there's a lot of questions, um, and they need to. There's a void, there's a lot of questions, and let, let's be honest, there is competition. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there, there's always somebody behind you saying, I may have a better idea for Jaffe Communications. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nicole is extraordinary. She's very visible. She's very hands-on. And like many of our colleagues across the state, she has diversified. She's not just insurance. She is, as you said, HR. Mm -hmm. She's a little bit of technology. Mm -hmm. She's a little bit of, okay, Maybe you need to know about the Family Medical Leave Act. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to know about COBRA or, or, or New Jersey Family Leave Insurance. Mm-hmm. All the things that we didn't yeah. talk about, we were insurance salespeople. Yep. And, and compliance. And compliance. Yep. I mean, it's, it's given me a whole new outlook. It's what I do now 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And there is a question or 20 every day mm-hmm. that... Brokers want to know on behalf of their employer groups. So, yeah, there's been a metamorphosis uh, from the broker well, perspective. And I think about just the changing industry. Back when you started in 1985, when you were watching Miami Vice. Well, it started in the 80s. Yeah. 1980. Uh, okay, so what was he watching in 1980? You were watching Hill Street Blues. Uh, my mother, the car. <laughs> and, my, <laughs> and my favorite Martian or my favorite Mordo, whatever you want to call it. Um. But anyway, um, at that time, it seemed health insurance was just an entitlement. Um, you know, when I got my first job, which was in 1990, um, the, the newspaper, it was the Star-Ledger at the time, they paid full family health benefits, no co-pays, um, and just, I mean, I guess what we now call the Cadillac plan, probably the super Cadillac plan at the time. Um, but what has struck me is every year, it just keeps chipping away and it keeps chipping away. And if you look at our company's plan in 2019 compared to our, our company's plan in 2009, I'm sure there are stark differences. I'm also sure there's stark price pricing differences besides service. So what I'm getting at is wh- where does this end? You know, is this just, look, I've got another 20 years at this and then I can go on, you know, Medicare or, you know, it's at what point does it, it even out? That this is the this is normal and it's going to be normal for at least a while. That's a good one. 
Well, I'll tell you where I don't want it to go. And I don't want it to go because it could be normal for a long, long time. I don't think it will, but that's single payer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Explain to our folks single payer. Single payer basically is that the government will be the payer of your claims. Mm -hmm. It will be a Medicare for all type of scenario for people of all ages. People will be insured with the federal government as their payer from birth to death. Like other countries. Like other countries. And there are success stories in other countries. But those other countries have 5 million people. We have 318 million people. And it's a little harder. Um, so I, I hope it doesn't go there. There's legislation out there. I don't think it'll see the light of day. Although, if you read a particular poll or listen to a particular news station, people are clamoring for it. Mm-hmm. And people are clamoring for it. Because then they get to hear what it costs. And then the clamoring stops, mm-hmm. depending on which poll you believe. Where is it going? I think it is going in a good direction. I think you will see a lot more of uh, alternatives such as direct primary care, which is, I don't want to say sweeping the nation, but it's dusting the nation. What do you mean, like direct primary care like those mediclinics? No. Direct primary care would be a situation, and you usually see it in smaller rural towns, whereby an empl- a doctor practice, a primary care doctor practice, an employer will contract with that primary care doctor, and they will say, treat all of my employees to basic primary care. Mm-hmm. That primary care office charges a fee, like a gym membership, mm-hmm. $50 a month. Huh. So you basically you put your doctor on retainer. You do. Concierge medicine for the middle class is what it is. But it's quality care. It's direct. There's no insurance carrier involved. And you, as the broker, now have gone into a different area of insurance where you are now contracting with your employer client as opposed to with the insurance carrier. Interesting. So very interesting. This is sweeping the nation. I don't think it'll have much success in the major metropolitan areas because people have their own primary care docs, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be happy being limited to you must use it, under our plan this primary care doctor's yeah. office. Mm-hmm. I, I could tell you what's been very effective for us here in you know we're based in Cranford um, is Summit Medical Group where you can go into Summit Medical Group, it's almost a mall of medical care. I mean, they've got every single expert for every single problem you have under one roof, and it's all covered under Horizon Blue Cross. You know, so these guys have been able to find this niche where you can stay in network um, and get this whole host of stuff that you may not be able to get elsewhere. I didn't mean to give a plug to Summit Medical yeah. Group. They're not a sponsor of this program. No. Um, <laughs> they could be if they, they call could be uh, 908. They yeah. <laughs> They're, they're a top-notch quality healthcare institute and doctor's practice. And what we're seeing from Summit and others is 
they're merging smaller doctor practices mm -hmm. into the network, yeah, into their in, into their operation. Um, that could be a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, you don't find the old Marcus Welby single doc practitioner no. anymore, mm -hmm. and that's a cause for concern. Um, there are some talented folks out there that are hanging it up and saying, I just can't compete. I don't want to deal with the insurance companies anymore. And, you know, in the end, that hurts the consumer slash patient mm -hmm. who's had that doctor their whole lives. Yes. And now has to but, make a new relationship. But I could tell you this, like if you're one of, I guess it's the last time I checked, there was 900 doctors in Summit Medical Group that, you know, instead of you having to deal with insurance companies and dealing with all the bureaucracy, that you can actually just go to work every day and practice medicine. To me, it seems pretty darn attractive compared to the red tape of just trying to get paid. That's there's the something, thing. There's something to be said for just getting a paycheck. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. And I hear a lot of docs say, I miss practicing medicine. Um, and they make a strong argument. And in other cases, I don't necessarily buy it, to be quite candid, because uh, these places have big staff, administrative staff. And while I appreciate the work of a doctor and what they have to do and what they have to record, they never took electronic health records so seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that would alleviate a lot of their concerns. But, yeah, I want my doc to practice medicine. I don't want my doc to practice business. Mm -hmm. That's not what they went to school for. Yep. So Summit is on a good path. Um, some of the hospitals in the state are on a good path. Um, Robert Wood Johnson, mm -hmm. uh, down south, Cooper. Yep. They're doing good work. Mm -hmm. um, some of the smaller ones we never, never hear of, but they're world-renowned. Deborah Heart and Lung is a great institution, and you know they take all comers. Mm -hmm. Um, much like, uh, was it St. Jude in Tennessee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, but... They truly embrace the nonprofit status. Yeah. yeah. Quality medical yeah. care is first. Yeah. Payment is second. Let's talk about payment for a sec. Sure. So, all right, so if I went into um, my favorite fast food joint, you know, and I'm, I'm going to order a hamburger... I look up on the screen on top, and it says, you see where I'm going with this, the hamburgers, $2.69, with cheese, $2.99. Um, there's still all the mysteriousness when it comes to medical care. And I know that there's the out-of-network uh, legislation um, that passed last year. Um, but do you feel that healthcare in New Jersey is still not transparent when it comes to how much things cost? Oh, Definitely. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the out-of-network uh, transparency, and I think that that will help immensely. But And look, it's an age-old question. Why can't I obtain a price for health care before I get the care? Mm -hmm. Why do I have to find out what it costs after the fact? And for months and for years, the doctors have said, we're not obligated to publish our prices. I don't want my competition down the road to see what I'm charging for a throat culture because they'll come in and undercut me and I'll lose my patience. And I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, I think that hospitals are gouging the system in some cases with... Well, the negotiations between themselves mm -hmm. and the insurance and they carriers. Would, and they would argue, charity care, that 
they've got to treat anybody who walks into the ER. And so, yeah, the Band-Aid costs 90 bucks, but we're just trying to balance our sheets. And if the Band-Aid costs $90, then the Band-Aid costs $90. I don't agree with the figure, but tell me before you put the Band-Aid on <laughs> that it costs $90. Yeah. Tell me that Tylenol is going to cost $3.50 a pill. Something called the Charge Master in the hospital. All right, that's the, that's the list of what everything is being charged at. Mm-hmm. Not what it costs, what mm-hmm. they're charging mm-hmm. you for. Mm-hmm. There's no formula for that. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's made up as you go along. Mm-hmm. It's based on the negotiation between the hospital and the insurance carrier. And the carrier says to the hospital, how much would you like to be reimbursed for this procedure? And the hospital gives a number. And then the discount by the insurance carrier is figured in to reach that number. And it's a horrible way to do business if you're a consumer who never gets in, obviously doesn't take part in the negotiation, but finds out that figure after the fact. Mm -hmm. So there is a big move, a big move across the country to get hospitals and docs to be transparent. Um, let me know what this costs. Publish your rates. Or, can, or maybe not just the rates. How about a range? At, a least, range. Uh, at least that everybody's at least playing somewhere on the same field, that right. a, a kneecap replacement can cost $20,000 swing depending on where you go. But to be fair, it's up to the consumer to inquire, too. It's up to the consumer to take charge of his or her health care. If you go shopping for a new car, you're going to ask what it costs. I don't want to see the the sticker price. I want to see what you paid for that car. And then we'll negotiate from there. I agree, except for the point your kid falls off a swing. You go to a hospital. You don't really care at that particular no, you moment. Don't. It's an emotional. It's it, very no different. Emergencies are emergencies. That's why they're called emergencies. But if I'm going in, God forbid, for a hip replacement. Okay, and fair enough. Yep. And that's being scheduled for mid-March. Mm-hmm. Lay out for me mm-hmm. what it's going to cost from the pre-admission testing to the porcelain hip to the screws and the plates, God forbid, what is it going to cost? Mm-hmm. You go to an institution that, that specializes in these orthopedic surgeries, they know they're doing 10 a day. But do they readily provide that for you? If you called up and said, I'm, I need a hip replacement, they will give you a proposal like an other type? Readily? Like any other- of course not. Mm-hmm. But again, so how do you shop around? As, as an informed consumer, you have to ask questions. I, well, I agree about that. I mean, ignorance is not an excuse. No, not in, in anymore. Any regard. Not anymore. You you ask questions on virtually every item that we buy. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is different. You can't see it. It's not tangible, so to speak. But you know, MRIs. Everybody brings up MRIs. Mm-hmm. I went shopping for an MRI uh, two months ago. I conducted a little experiment for myself. Mm -hmm. 
it was amazing what I could negotiate. And it's not because I'm in the industry and I have experience in doing this. It was basic questions. It was a basic request of two or three facilities that were in-network, but I had a high deductible, so I had to satisfy the deductible. I came right out and said, I'm paying cash for this. What's the best you could do for me? (laughs) Wow. If you don't ask, you don't get. So, really. Did they they drop the, you said I'm paying with cash, they dropped the price? Yeah, I paid $495 for an MRI. There's no doubt in my mind if the insurance was going to cover it right from the get-go, it would have been well over $1,000, if not more. Mm -hmm. So if you went, first, that's amazing. So if if you went, here's a question. If you went into a hospital or if you went to a doctor and you say, hi, I'm Dave Mordo, I'm Josh Frank, I don't have health insurance. What is the best you can give me as far as out-of-pocket? Do you think they would be interested in engaging with you in a conversation? Or are they more interested in people who've got insurance because that way they're guaranteed to get paid? Yeah. Well, listen, they're more interested in in probably dealing with the insurance carrier because there is a decent guarantee of more money, not only from the insurance company, but if you have a co-insurance situation, they'll get some money from you as well. Mm-hmm. If you're open and upfront with them, and say, listen, I'm not destitute, but I don't have insurance. I have money. Uh, I, I need a procedure or an MRI or, or a CAT scan. How, how can you help me? Mm-hmm. I think that they would negotiate. I've seen it. I've seen it done in person. Depends on the institution, depends on the facility, mm-hmm. but we, we as consumers have got to start asking more questions. Mm-hmm. We have to be a little bit bolder. Mm-hmm. We have to rely on the professionals to heal us, but we have to rely on ourselves to get to those healers and make sure that they can not only do the job, but do it at a reasonable cost. To me, mm-hmm. as a consumer, I think that that's a, a very important message because I think just most people don't feel they have that power. Yeah, um, you know, back in the day, when when our parents were around, you know, they they viewed their doctor as as a godlike mm-hmm. figure, right? And he or she was, mm-hmm. he or she was that they practiced medicine. They didn't have to worry about this. You know, the, it, it sounds very corny and cliche, but they, they went on house calls at 3 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. because they could. Right, right. And they charged us 2 bucks mm-hmm. for a house call. Right. Can't do that now. Right. Can't do that now. Well, I mean, now. Well, right now, I mean, if, you, if we had a doctor sitting here, a doctor would be like, well, look, you know, I'm getting choked between my male my malpractice insurance. I'm getting choked uh, with all of the money I have to spend on billing. I'm also getting choked on third-party administrators, which some doctors have a problem with. You know, um, you know, from their standpoint, being in medicine for them is a very difficult way to live. So I guess my question is, is that is, is, it, is it right, is it fair to be uh, empathetic to doctors? 
here's where I get in trouble. I am, I am not a great fan of the complaints from providers these days. You hear them say, I'm not getting reimbursed enough from the insurance carrier. I'm not getting reimbursed enough from Medicare. I have to fight every day on the phone to get something mm-hmm. approved in the way of a test or a prescription. Listen, I heard a statistic, uh, an unfortunate statistic the other day, that, that physicians, unfortunately, have an extraordinarily high rate of suicide. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And it, it's not necessarily because of the stress that they're under. It's more that they are frustrated with having to deal with the bureaucratic nonsense or red tape that doesn't allow them to do their job. But if you have to spend 15 minutes with a patient as opposed mm-hmm. to eight, right. spend the 15 instead of spending eight and worrying, I got to make my, mm-hmm. I got to pay a bill. So I, I have to go see another patient for eight minutes mm-hmm. so I could have a total of two payments coming in from two. Pa- That's not the way to practice medicine. And if you're telling me that, this is what I have to do to make ends meet because I'm being squeezed. Right, right. Then you either need a new business plan or you need a new profession. Mm-hmm. And I hate to be so harsh mm-hmm. because the medical community, I have great respect for their ability to heal. Right. But again, I want you to practice medicine, not business. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's flip-flopped. I know business is the first priority and medicine is the second, and it shouldn't be that way. Right, right. And, and also, you know, you, the other fact, too, is the consumer side. It's that, you know, we are paying more for health insurance than we've ever paid before, and we expect some level of service that it's like that, you know, that this is such a big chunk out of our paycheck that white glove service could even I – mean, or, or just, you know – Treated fairly and respectfully, and uh, you know that's that's a question from the consumer side because and and the other part of it too is that and I used before my my hamburger on the sandwich board. Mm-hmm. Okay, the thing is, I have a choice about buying that hamburger or not. I don't have a choice ah, with health insurance. Ah, very good. So you're part of an employer plan, and it is up to the employer and solely up to the employer to decide what plan he or she is going to put into their place of business. Right. You have no choice as an employee. I have no choice as an employee. Now, do I say to my employer, thanks but no thanks. This is a pretty pricey product. Mm-hmm. You're only contributing 50% of the premium. I'm contributing the other 50. I'm going to run over there and go shopping on my own for something less than what the 50% would cost me under your plan. Okay. In New Jersey, we don't have that much of an array of choices. If you're 28 years old, young and invincible, they that may not yep. be a bad idea. Yep. Go. <laughs> right. Go. Right. But if you're 57 or 61 
or if you're 41 with chronic conditions and your employer is paying 50% of the premium, and most employers in New Jersey are paying more than 50%. Mm -hmm. So I I, I have not seen a huge dip in the employer contribution, which is a tribute to the employer. Like I said earlier, they want to provide coverage. They're doing the best they can. And an employer is not required to contribute anything if he or she decides. In the small group market, they have to uh, contribute a minimum of 10% of the total premium. And every employer employer is contributing far more than that. I mean, they really are making every attempt to be as generous as possible. But no, employees don't get a choice for for the smaller group market of what plan the employer takes, even even the major corporations. I work for a major company. I They gave me a choice of two plans. Mm-hmm. I picked one of the two. Mm-hmm. Do they satisfy me? Yeah, they satisfy me. Am I thrilled with it? No, I'm not thrilled with it, but it gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that is pretty much all. I, you just summed up health insurance in New Jersey. Yeah. It, no one's... No one's an enthusiastic buyer of it. No, no. Um, it is. It is something that is necessary. It is something that will. It, it look. Insurance is a funding mechanism. It's a funding mechanism to help for a an excruciatingly large sum of money that could potentially be uh, be invoiced to you right. for a procedure or an illness and we have got to do something in New Jersey to to make it affordable make it accessible my my friend Steve Honig who is a colleague of ours has talked about accessibility for years and years and years and we need to make it accessible and affordable and I hope we're on a good path. I, I, I'd like to believe that things will improve, but it, it will take it will take folks like the broker community to engage the employer, and it will take the employer, employees, and consumers in general to to get in touch and be involved in their health care. Mm-hmm. You know, and on that, I want to I want to end with a plug, and uh, that plug is for health insurance brokers. Um, and especially health insurance brokers who are with the New Jersey Association of Health Underwriters, NJHU, website of NJHU.org. And um, remember that health insurance brokers have to take many, many courses. They, they know what they're talking about and that they should be used um, as a resource for companies that may not have huge HR departments, but also as health insurance changes on a dime you know, kind of depending on who's in the White House, that brokers are, are more important than ever. And, and would you agree with that? The NJAHU broker is this state's and this nation's best possible advocate for the consumer when it comes to health insurance and health care. There is no profession, no professional better equipped to advise and guide the consumer in this day and age of health care reform and health insurance reform. 
Well, I would very much like to thank uh, Dave Mordo for joining us in our podcast studio today. Dave, again, is a compliance specialist for Benefit Mall, and he's been a longtime legislative uh, godfather for the <laughs> National Association of Health Underwriters. To learn more, uh, please visit njahu.org. David, thanks for being on. Thanks, Jonathan. The Jaffe Podcast is a production of Jaffe Communications, which is solely responsible for its content. Episodes may not be reproduced or rebroadcast without permission. Our executive producer is Jonathan Jaffe. Our editor and production manager is Josh Frank. And our theme song was composed by David Siste. For more episodes, visit jaffecom.com or find us on Facebook at Jaffe Communications. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.